Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Schenkler. Hey, Carl. Hey, Fred. I heard you got a couple of questions. And I said, oh, let's hit record. Okay. <laughs> bring them on yeah, me. <laughs> because just, just to be fair to the re- to the listeners, I say readers, um, the listeners is that Fred and I often talk about the podcast before we hit the record button and we go, oh, darn. We should. So you did a good job. I try. You got a couple of... Uh, <laughs> Only 900 episodes of practice. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've got a couple of uh, questions from uh, readers on um, the subject of root cause. Like, how deep do you go? Uh, are root causes all at the same level? You know, how do we keep people interested? So I got a few questions on this subject, and I thought it'd be fun to dive into the subject of root cause from our experience. I mean, there's books on this. There's textbooks. There's articles. Uh, but this is the Fred and Carl uh, take yep. on root cause. So what do you think? Well, that works for me. I got an opinion on that. <laughs> okay. I'll kick off one point and then let's just kind of go back and forth. The uh, right. uh, there, There's no perfect answer to root cause for all analyses. And then the reason I want to say that is it depends on the type of analysis. And I'll give one example. and then. Uh, Love to hear your thoughts on this. If you're doing a design FME, for example, you want to get to root cause that's appropriate for design FMEA. So you're going to get to an actionable level of the the design fix. In other words, you're going to get to the, the design deficiency that is appropriate for your analysis. However, if you're doing a what's called supportability or maintenance FMEA, or an RCM, Reliability Center Maintenance Project, the root cause there in the FMEA is the maintenance actionable. So you, you might state that the pump fails, but you're not going to go inside the pump because that's part of the design. So the what, what's called a quote root cause in that is the maintenance actionable because you're not getting to the level of fixing what is broken. You're getting to the level of maintaining it. So I just want to share that uh, that little well, guidance. Yeah, and that's think? that's the first thing that came to my mind. It, if I mean, it's kind of I reverse it a little bit and say, if you're not going to take action after you do this analysis, don't even start. Don't waste your time. Now, the corollary to that is that, like the pump issue. Let's say it's a metal fatigue problem, for example, right? And you get down into some root cause analysis gets down into the metals and how it was formed and where and which part of the side of the hill did it come from and all the other stuff. We're not going to change that. And if we're developing a brand new pump and getting into the metals, the science of the metals that we're using in the process of forming it, then it's appropriate because we're going to take action at that molecular level, for example, at that very fundamental you know, structure of the grains inside the metals. But if we're at a maintenance side and this is a replaceable unit, we're not, you know, it might be interesting to know that this is failing because it's interacting with our process or the chemicals we have in our process. And at some point we're going to have to say, Hey, look, 
we need to get into the design of this thing because they're failing way too often. It's costing us too much money. It's always in context is if I'm a material science creating a new lining for a pump, then I need to really get into the nitty gritty detailed molecular level, granular level details of this materials. If I'm designing a, a system and then there's a pump in that system, it's, you know, the root cause is if I overpressure it, it fails. So let's not overpressure it. <laughs> you know, it's, and I like the way you phrased it, Carl, is if it, the detail of your root cause goes to your action. Now, I think there's a caveat to that. And I know you've run into this. They say, well, we don't need to do any analysis or testing or evaluation or anything else. I know exactly what this problem is. This meeting's over. I'm going to go fix it. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, the cowboy no approach, as I call it. Yeah. And and they, and then and two days later, you're back there because the issue's still happening. You know, or somebody wants to just treat the symptoms. Oh, that pump's leaking. Let's put some duct tape on it. Right. As, as opposed to actually fixing the problem. And I think you, there's a right balance there. Um, and it, the balance is contingent on what level are you taking action on? What level is appropriate to take action on? And it may escalate. I think there's, there's, that's what makes it tricky in my mind is that you don't want to jump to the first option. You might be right one in 10 times and you waste a lot of time in the meantime. And, but you need to understand whatever the issue is to enough detail that you can fix it now and you can systemically fix it going forward. That's the way I look at it. No, very, very good. The, and I think what we're seeing here, what, what we're talking about are different aspects of root cause. One is the level of analysis. We just talked about that. And you're talking about the prevention aspect. In other words, you've you've identified a quote root cause unquote but if you fix that is it really fixed right. does it stay fixed did you fix the right thing <laughs> you know, yes it's, and that remains an issue I, I don't think that i think it goes back to the scientific method we all learned in schools is our first proposal to fix something is an hypothesis it, it is it might or might not work. The more experienced we are and the more uh, detailed and the, well, how well the team works together, we may, yeah, we know exactly what that is and we, and we all agree and then we go apply a fix and it works. Right. That's the exception than the rule. It's usually if you don't understand what's causing that phenomenon to occur, then it could be, and that's why there's always a tree associated with root cause analysis for whatever reason is there's many many different sources for what could be the source of the problem and at various different levels and one fix may apply to one particular cause but really be ineffective against other ones and so that's, yeah, that's my the issue i have if you don't treat it like a, a hypothesis test or an experiment there are, are forming a thesis basically saying oh, we think this will fix it now let's go find out Let's go find out, right? Yeah, there, so there's another aspect to well, you're you're bringing up something, and and I just wanted to to uh, explore a little bit, which is multiple roots. Mm -hmm. um, and I've I've read papers, and I've actually written on this subject. Like, is there more than one root cause? We've talked about this. The of course, there's more than one cause, 
Now, is there more than one root cause? And maybe the answer is yes. You, you, if you, the, or maybe the answer is you need to address two things, and the two things are the root. Um, and sometimes those things are in series, and sometimes they're in parallel or tandem. So you have to fix this and this to get at the root cause. Yeah. Sometimes they're series, like you have to fix this or this. Either one will take care of it. It It's a subject that doesn't have a canned answer. Well, um, Bob Latino, in his series of articles on the site, and a lot of the work he, him and his family have done over the years in root cause analysis, is, and it's something I've learned about years and years ago also, is that there's the physics and chemistry piece of it. You know, this grain structure, the, the way this metal is formed or this style of weld, um, you know, has limits and we're pushing those limits and that is causing the problem. That's the physics of it, right? That's in the material science world types of analysis. And I've gotten into plenty of those over the years. And it could be the same as with this is a manufacturing process, or this isn't controlled, this is the here's source of variability. All of that's the physics, chemistry type root cause. And equally, if not more important part of that is what, what, what part did the human structures of how do we make decisions? What do we detect? What's, what's important, say, to that manufacturing line that enabled... <clears throat> this amount of variability to occur and 10% of these products to fail. The system is reacting to all of its inputs. And one of the major inputs is what do we focus on? What's important? Is it throughput or quality? And what's that balance? That's a human system. And at some point in, and you've seen it, I'm sure, Carl, is that the, just fix it, get the line running again. And that we just slap a, a short-term fix on it and then it breaks and then it breaks down even harder the next time. Or it's a design issue. It's just, oh, that'll never happen. That was a human failure. Right. Like just didn't dismissing something. Well, we have to ship, you know, we have to get this in the product. We have to get this to market. So another aspect is the, is the, the human aspect right. of the system, right. the human interaction to the system. We run into this, and you're right, we have seen it. Um, in my practice, I like to uh, agree on the scope of an analysis. So if we're doing an FMEA, we're going to ask, and I'll, I'm going to combine two topics here, why, 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 because there's the five whys. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's three whys, maybe it's six whys. The why, why, why. So you get down to the level of potential design deficiency if you're doing a design FMEA. Now, if you keep asking why, you're going to get most likely into a human thing. Well, we didn't train the design engineer well enough, or we don't have a, a knowledge center that has the the uh, that keeps track of the problems in the past, so we repeated it, mm -hmm. or or or, and so this is going to depend whether that's appropriate depends on the scope of your analysis. It may be appropriate just to stop at the the root design deficiency. And then fix that in your DFMEA, or you may keep going and say, why did that error come up in the design? Why did yeah. we not catch this during the design review? So then there's going to be a cause in the design review. Why did we not why did we not catch this in something else? And and so I I really think that has to do with the scope of analysis. Otherwise, you can almost go, there's almost no end to how deep you can go. 
If wow. you say, why, why was the, did we miss this in training? Well, then what's deficient about the training? Well, then why did, was that deficient? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it goes back to our very first comments is where, where are you going to take action? Yeah. Um, part of it is, and I don't, I rarely stop at just the physical level of it. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. you have to get into the people side of it. You know, yeah. what, in what part of our process enabled this to occur? Because there's, I'm thinking of the eight D process. I think it's eight disciplines. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the D stands for. Um, but part of it is, I mean, seven of the eight are not root cause or all kinds of other things <laughs> right. that are important because you don't do the analysis in a vacuum. You do it to solve a problem, to, to fix something. And one of the things that comes to my mind is that if we do just the physics chemistry, get down and go, oh, okay, this is, we need a, a different component here. We need a more robust capacitor or whatever. And we implement that fix, it fixes it that one time. And part of the AD process is you can do a short-term fix and then verify that it works and then do a systemic fix. And a part of that process is it's not just, oh, anytime we buy this capacitor for this kind of design, we have to buy this more robust one because of the nature of the circuit. That's too narrow of a systemic fix. What was the process that enabled us to pick the first one? And I'm thinking of the meeting I was in and it was the procurement guy saying, well, you only need five volts on this capacitor and those are way cheaper than the 10 volt rated ones. So what's their problem? And he says, it fails, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it fails and it's not robust. And then they really didn't like my next line is you need to make sure all capacitors, not just this particular capacitor, all capacitors have sufficient rating for their application. And price gets washed out as soon as you start having failures. And they didn't like that at all because mm. they were looking at me like I was doubling the price of every component they were buying. And like, you were buying the wrong components to start with. You know, <laughs> okay, big, big issue. You're, you're bringing up a big issue, which is the, and, and like you said, on the AD process, you're only getting the root cause down to seven or eight. Um, there's a lot you do preliminary, and I'll just mention this because you're you're hitting on it, which is you got a wrong problem statement. You haven't stated the problem correctly. And yep. part of the root cause analysis is getting the problem statement correct. And that's yep. also part of an FMEA because the failure mode essentially is the problem. It's the manner in which you don't accomplish your function. And so the, getting the failure mode right is in the FMEA, you're not going to get to root cause unless you get the failure mode right. Mm -hmm. so just kind of throwing things out there. There's a lot of aspects to this. It's And it goes back to is that I, I'm thinking of capacitors. I'm thinking of electrolytic capacitors and there's a very simple and it's almost universal across all derating and electrical design circuitry guidance is if you have a five volts being applied to this capacitor, you get a, a capacitor rated at 10 volts. You It's, a, it's called a 50% derating. And it's just universal. And there's variation to that always is yet in general, those capacitors are always that way. And there's all kinds of good reason for it and all kinds of variability that occurs that it's more robust and all the other stuff. It's very similar to the mechanical world. They use safety factors. If it's a safety critical piece, they say, all right, we need twice the strength and we, you know, we put an extra margin on it by some percentage, very similar concept. Part of that 
is that the we as engineers have found that if we don't create some margin in the design, it's going to wear faster. It's going to see over stresses more often that cause problems and all those kinds of things. Let's just get rid of all that by designing it with plenty of margin. Yes. And parts of that is, so if something fails, one of the first things to check is, is this isolated to one batch? You know, I thinking through just root cause analysis, is this a systemic problem that's inherent in the way this particular thing was designed? And it might be, we picked the, we didn't apply the derating concept, for example, or is it just a batch problem or was it a, a failure in a manufacturing for, you know, one day somebody was not following the procedure correctly and causing latent damage, or was it used in a, was it isolated to the one customer that's putting this product on a, a deep a, a, a fishing boat, a charter boat, for example, and it's not rated for that much vibration or marine environment kind of stuff. Because if it's isolated, a lot of people go with a big sigh of relief going, do we really want to solve this, add the cost to the 99.9% of our product line for these you know, marginal cases? Or is this a market opportunity? Now, the scope at that point goes way beyond the team that usually sees the problem to start with. Yet, do I spend all day solving that problem because it had the salt fog rust on it when it's not rated for marine? Or do I dismiss it and go, you know? That's why severity is always part of risk analysis, not just occurrence. In other words, you could have a a very low occurrence, but if it's high severity, you might decide you have to look at the risk. So yep. you're talking about do once you know the root cause, do we even do we do something about it? In other words, you you may just decide that's a low enough risk that we're not going to fix it. Well, the consequence of it is if it's low enough. I I think the very same scenario where you have a, a fringe case yet it burned a house down right. is like you only need one of those and you go fix it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so it's if the consequence is severe, then it doesn't take much to go deal with it and go solve it. And yet it's one of those things I find that the common first step, and I think this is where uh, root cause analysis often runs off the rails, is that we blame the supplier. They did something wrong. Or we blame the manufacturing system. Blame the system. operator. <laughs> blame the operator. Yeah, you, you mishandled it. You misused it. Uh, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And it was like, hmm. So many things are coming to mind here. Like uh, in in my book, I got uh, approval from Motorola to use an example in an FMEA. It's a very, Mm -hmm. very simple line entry. You have a walkie-talkie that has a uh, push button, the Mm push-to-talk feature. And these are the kind of walkie-talkies that are used uh, by firemen. And they're heading into a very dangerous environment. Button better work. And in one analysis I saw, and was I used it as a training, the the cause was uh, gloves. The fireman was wearing gloves or the policeman. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's not an actionable yeah. cause because that's part of the system. You, yeah. They're going to be wearing gloves. The cause is the button's too small or, you know, you can't push can't the button find with it. the glove. You yeah. can't find it. And so I use that in, in training is that you want to get to something you can do something about because you're not going to be able to remove the gloves in time when you're trying to do a push to talk. Right. So then in another one that flipped to mind here 
is the subject of resources. I remember, I forget where I read this years ago, but or, or saw it in, a, in some documentary, but Archimedes, I think it's Archimedes, someone will fact check me, uh, said that if I if I can get an, a lever long enough and a fulcrum that's stable, I can move the earth. Yep. And so resources come to mind because you're not going to get a lever long enough and a fulcrum strong enough to move the earth um, that, that's stable. So one, one of the aspects of root cause is can it be fixed? Is it can management or the system or, you know, the collective organization can they fix the problem? Are there resources to do it? Or, or is it realistic to get the resources? Yep, so I just yep. want to throw that one out there. Well, all right. I think we just confused the daylights on everybody. There's like <laughs> 15 different variables. And, and yes. it's part of everything's not a PhD thesis, yet sometimes it really is to really understand the problem and to solve it properly. Other times it's you get the team together and you brainstorm some ideas, you run some experiments and you move on. And some you walk away from and some you stand up for and say, no, we got to fix this. And the, there's a lot of judgment that comes along the line of that. And you get better with time. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's an exciting process. I think the best advice I have for anybody doing, you know, looking at root cause analysis is, well, do the design well, do the FMEAs and get your processes in place and your supply chains in place and make a robust, solid product right from the start, and you'll have less things you have to go sort out what's wrong. That's good advice. <laughs> Just avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> Do the Very other good. stuff better. Don't react to it later. If you're a listener and you have a story about root cause or a question about root cause or maybe even uh, some advice, let us know. Yeah. Head over to uh, ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Uh, Carl and I, the other hosts are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. And as usual, we always are looking for those things and, and getting answers back out to folks. And, and some of those, not all of them, make it into a, a discussion here on, on the show. Every now and then, Carl, I get a, a comment that has like two, three topics that are not particularly questions they had, but th these might make good topics, you know, and that's, I think that's like the super fan. They're listening and getting the gist of what we focus on and what we're talking on and, and spot a couple of things that we should come back to or, or introduce. I like those. That, that I love that. Somebody's really I... listening pretty closely to what we're doing. So that's great. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Carl. Uh, let's see. I, I have to find the button here again. So that's it's obviously something wrong with the system. <laughs> <laughs> okay fred catch you later take care Kyle. thanks for listening to speaking of reliability we invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know you can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on itunes